to preach after me. That's why. All right, I'm going to tell you my testimony. It's condensed. Many of you may know I was born and raised as a preacher's kid. Now, you know what they say about preacher's kids. You know, they're not always the best behaved. Now, I was, of course, but I don't know about all the others. But preacher's kids were always a little bit different. In fact, I remember a story one time that they were telling us about preacher's kids, and all preacher's kids have drug problems. I don't know if you were aware of that or not, but all preacher's kids do. They've been drugged to Sunday school, drugged to church, drugged to youth service, drugged to revivals. But all, all preacher's kids have that kind of a drug problem. I had a different set of problems that were related to that. And, but during my younger years and in high school, I was, I was a, a sold-out Christian. I lived for God. I believed in, in everything that was preached, and I lived it that way. I was the chaplain of my high school class for three consecutive years. I was a, a person that as I got to my later high school years, I was, a, I was called into the ministry and know that God had a call on my life. And uh, in the interest of time today, I'm going to fast forward through a few years, but suffice it to say, I had given my heart to the Lord, and I had lived for the Lord, and I had, I had uh, been a practicing believer for, for all of those years. Now, I got away from, uh, from those times in my life. I'd, I'd gone away to school, and I started working in the television industry. And in fact, I was working uh, initially in the Christian television industry. I felt like that was a form of ministry that I was in. But as I got out on my own and got away from those things that, that had been so uh, meaningful in my life in terms of my, my disciplines and my routines and the church that I had been involved in all those years, I got into a place where I started drinking socially. Now, how many people have ever drank socially? Let me tell you, there is no such thing as that. I, I, I don't believe anyway. And I became a person that said, well, I, I'm just going to do this on a social basis. I'm going I'm to go out there and just try to consume alcohol just to be a part of the, the group. Now, keep in mind, up until this time, I had never done anything like that, consumed alcohol or, or taken any other kind of thing. Uh, but, that, but that's what I did. It, it started that way. And as I understand it today, I didn't understand it then that way. But as I understand it today, this was where the enemy of my life came in and established what would be referred to at that stage as a toehold. Now, the, the dictionary, if you look up the word toehold in the dictionary, one of the definitions says this, a relatively insignificant position from which further progress can be made. Now, what that means in this case is that further uh, digression could be made from an insignificant position. It starts off small. So I, I, I was a social drinker. I thought that's how it was. That's what I was doing. The next thing you know, somebody introduced me to this thing called smoking weed, which a lot of you may know what that is, and maybe you don't. I'll just say it's, it's, it's marijuana. It's a, it's a drug that, uh, that seems harmless a little bit. You're just going to smoke a little bit. I, it, it, it seemed like it would be harmless enough, right? Wrong. Actually, it's not right at all. It, it, it is uh, it, it, can be very harmful to you, despite what a lot of people in the culture today want to tell you. Smoking weed, smoking marijuana is harmful to you. So I started off, here's a toehold that had been established, it's growing a little bit. I liken this to what I like to call a toe-in-the-water syndrome. A toe-in-the-water syndrome, let me explain to you what that is. A toe-in-the-water syndrome is where you, are, if you're at a, uh, a pool in, in the hot summer day, 
And if you put your foot in the water or just put your toe in the water, it's going to be cold, right? I mean, cold water. You think, man, that water's cold. And you think, I can't jump in that. That water's too cold. But you put your foot in there and you put it in there for just a little while, and what was uncomfortable starts to become comfortable. It starts to be okay. And then what you do is you say, well, look, I've got my toe, my foot down in the water. Let me just step in here a little bit more. And maybe it goes up to where my knees are. And, 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 and it's cold to start with, and it's pretty uncomfortable, but then it, it, it starts to get more comfortable. And so on and so forth. You go up to your waist. You go up to your chest. The next thing you know, you're up to your neck in water. And what was uncomfortable to begin with has now become comfortable. That's what happens when you allow something that starts as a toehold or a toe in the water. And then I was socially drinking. Then I came to a place where I was consuming or smoking marijuana, smoking weed. That turned into a foothold. I'm in the water a little bit deeper now. What was uncomfortable to begin with began to get a little more comfortable. And then the next thing you know, it goes to where it becomes completely comfortable. See, but I didn't see all of those things as clearly as I do today. I really wasn't looking at this as a spiritual issue in my life. I was looking at it as a lifestyle issue. And that's how... That's how Satan will work in your life. You know, in many ways, and many of you may not know this, or maybe you do, Satan works in your life the same way God works in your life. Not in every case, of course, but in some cases. Let me tell you what I mean by that. If you keep giving God opportunities by living for him, by walking in obedience, by dedicating your life for him, he will continue to grow in significance and in influence in your life. That's what God will do. However, the same thing, unfortunately, is true with the enemy. The enemy will come to you, and the more opportunities you give him, the more ways you sit on the fence, or even worse, or be lukewarm in your faith, or don't follow God at all, if you do that, what happens is the enemy, Satan, will grow in influence in your life and grow in significance in your life. That's just simply what happens. That's the way that it is. So now you're saying, well, Pastor Billy, look, that's not so bad. You had a little drinking, you smoked a little pot, okay, you're fine. But wait a minute, the story doesn't end there, unfortunately. You see, he wasn't finished with me. He didn't, it wasn't good enough for the enemy to have a toehold or a foothold in my life. He wanted to increase that. He wanted me to get to where that water was up to my neck. So he introduced me through someone else to a new thing. It was called cocaine. Now, it's a harder drink. Let me just tell this on a side note here. If anyone, no matter who they may be, ever tells you that there is no such thing as gateway drugs, they are either in denial or they are completely and totally misinformed. Gateway drugs are what draws you into the next level of, of abuse and of things that turn into what would be a toehold, then into a foothold in your life. And it increased in my life and it will in most everyone that, 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 that decides to start in that, in, that, in that path, it turned into a full-fledged stronghold. That was an enemy stronghold on my life. And also, when this happens, see, as, a, as, as those things turn and grew in influence and grew in significance in my life, those, those bad habits, those, the abuse of alcohol and drugs and the consumption of those things, what happened is my moral compass started to move as well. 
It's funny how that happens because what starts as one thing, then the next thing you know, telling the truth doesn't become as important anymore. Taking things that don't belong to you maybe doesn't become as important to you anymore. Doing things that normally you would do when you say, well, this is right and this is wrong, I'm going to do what's right. That line gets blurred, unlike it used to be in your life. So what had happened is, for me, the enemy had taken a foothold, turned it into a stronghold, and it had increased its grip on my life, and I liken it to like what would be a boa constrictor snake. If you've ever seen one of those or heard about that, they can wrap themselves around you. I saw a picture or a video of a little girl, some parents had a, a pet snake 15 foot long, crawling all around a little three-year-old girl. Well, I wouldn't recommend doing that. I didn't think it was such a good idea. But this snake was, was, was around this little girl and wasn't harming her at all. But what can happen is, much like a boa constrictor snake, the enemy can wrap himself around you, and then it starts to constrict and constrict, and it starts to strangle you, not quickly, but slowly, where the life and the air, the very, the very essence of what you do, in your life, just start slowly being strangled out of you. That's what was happening to me. It was occurring in my life to where, where I was just uh, losing my my, my 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 moral compass, but it also began to slowly rob me of things. It robbed me of my marriage. It robbed me of my friendships. It robbed me of my relationships with my family and with others. And before I knew it, through all of this, again, I'm skipping to, to different places in this story, but before you knew it, that when it started out as a little social drinking here, I became, I was completely addicted to alcohol and drugs. I was using them extensively on a daily basis. There were many times I tried to quit on my own. There were some minor successes. I'd have a day or two here. I think one time maybe I had a week where I wasn't able to do it. And then the next thing you know, a friend of mine would say, hey, we're going to come over and they bring a, uh, a bottle of, uh, of booze or, or liquor or wine or whatever it was, and I'd fall off the old proverbial wagon again. And then the next thing you know, I was using again. And that's how it went. It was just something that I never really had the ability on my own, even though I had minor successes, to really kick it. So ultimately, it led back to more use and what I would call abuse. And in fact, what happened was it began to even grow more and more and more. It didn't, when I started back again, I didn't start and just stay where I was. I kept doing more and more more. It was growing. Bottom line is this. Here's the bottom line. I had no answer. I had absolutely no answer. I had answers for a lot of things in my life. I was a capable person. I had responsible jobs. I was being promoted. I had things that were required a lot of knowledge and a lot of ability. I'm not saying that to be boastful. I'm just saying that's what it is. And I had all of this ability to do a lot of different things, but I had no answer for this. I was clueless as to how to deal with this. And in fact, I was getting less and less tolerant myself. I was getting less and less tolerance of this weakness in my life. And I knew that the answer, in, the, in, my, in my heart of hearts, I knew that the answer was turning my life over and turning this problem over to God. I had never forgetting that, forgotten that. I knew that, but I was rejecting that, and I was rejecting it over and over again. And there were many nights that I sat up, after I had realized the problem that I had, and I had tried to stop on my own, and I knew I wasn't able to do it under my power, I had many nights where I sat up, and I would just be weeping for no reason. This would be 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. And I would be weeping, and I would be, I would be crying, and I would go to what I knew was right, and I would go to the Bible. I would start reading scriptures. I would start 
we start doing things and, and, and trying to, uh, to, to make sense of it all. And I was reaching out and crying out to God, but I would never really just release it to Him. And I, again, I thought of it more as a lifestyle problem, not as a spiritual problem. But God was working through me. He was working through all of these things. And in fact, I have a notebook of things, and I brought it here today to show everyone. I, I keep it, I'll, I'll keep it always because I'll never forget it. All of these notes that I've written down when I would be there in the middle of the night, I'd write down notes to myself. I would write these notes out, and I would just go, and I would, I would write down scriptures, or I would write down things that, that, that God can help you, or you need help, or you are completely addicted, and you need, to, you need to turn your life over to God, and He has hope for you. He has a plan for you. All of these notes that I wrote, wrote down, and I keep them in this folder, and I kept them, and every night, or any night that I would do this, that I would go and write down these things, I would go to that folder, and I would reach out, and I would make new notes, and I would just keep them in there. So anyway, I'm going to uh, talk to you about a, a time when I was, as I was going through this, and we were sitting in our living room, and I was just flipping through channels on a TV, and one day, I uh, just happened to go by a channel that I never watch. It's the local news channel, Channel 4, WJXT. I'll never forget it, because it's just not one of the stations that I watch. And so they had the local news on there, so I watched one or two stories of things that were going on locally. And then they came up with a story of a revival that was going on in Lakeland, Florida. And I was looking at it, and they were talking about people. Of course, this was a secular story. They were saying there are people that were claiming to be healed, and there were a lot of things that were claiming to be miracles that were going on, and people were coming in from all over the world. And I just looked at it and said, wow, look at what's going on lately. And in fact, the church where this started, it had started in a church and it had grown. The church where it started, the, uh, the pastors uh, uh, of that church, was a preacher's kid, too, and uh, he was a friend of mine. I'd known him for many, many years, and uh, he, this is where it started, and it ultimately grew into a uh, uh, large gathering that, that outgrew their church. They moved to a little uh, meeting space somewhere, and ultimately they got to a place where they had to rent a tent, and this tent was not just some, like, little tent that you see. This was like a, the old-time circus tent, so it was huge. It would hold up to 7,500 people, had air conditioning and churches, have a stage, had screens like we see here in our modern church services. That's what it looked like inside this tent. When you walked in, it looked like, a, like you were inside of a building. But in any case, there were many stories of great healings and other miracles that were taking place. And I looked at the story and I said, wow, that's great. You know, I, I believed in God. I knew God was doing something. I said, God's doing something in Lakeland. That's awesome. And I just turned it off and let it go. And I never thought about it again for several weeks. It didn't even come back into my mind. And I just left it there. I was amazed at what was going on, but thought nothing more about it after that. So um, we fast forwarding a little bit here, but there's another night where I was drinking and consuming drugs and I was making more promises to God about how I would stop. <laughs> if you'll do this, I'll do that. Or writing these notes and trying to find something. I kept all of that stuff, and I'll tell you what happened. So here I am again. I'm drunk. I'm high. I'm trying to find something. I'm trying to, I'm trying to help myself. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of reaching out to God. I'm, I'm sitting on that fence a little bit, and then the other side, I'm, I'm over here. I'm, I'm, I'm consumed by a demonic stronghold. I just want to say that again. That's what was battling me. But looking at it that way totally. So then I went and pulled this folder, this folder right here. 
that sat in my closet. It's a little walk-in closet that we had at our house, and it sat up on the shelf, and I went and grabbed it like I did every time I wanted to sit down and write notes and put them in here. And I pulled this folder out, and a piece of paper fell out. And it wasn't exactly like that, but it just it was one piece of paper, and it fell out like that. And when it fell, I'm going to tell you, and I'm not exaggerating this, I don't believe. Have you ever dropped a feather and you just seen that thing because it's so light and it just sort of just falls like this? That's what this piece of paper looked like. It just looked like it was just falling like this. And when it fell, it landed right in front of my feet, framed perfectly facing me. I don't know when I wrote it in all those times before. I have no idea. But I looked down. And this is what it said. And I don't know when I wrote that, but I know I wrote it because at the moment when I wrote it, I felt the Spirit of God was there. I will tell you, friends, it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been or how far you've fallen away or how many times you've failed God. He still loves you. He loves you, and he is faithful, as we sang today, and ever true. He won't give up on you. You're the only one that can give up on him. He doesn't give up on you. He's constant. He's faithful. He's solid. And I don't know when I wrote it the first time, but I know when I saw it that night, I'll never forget it. And I felt... Even though I didn't deserve it, I felt the presence of God. If you've ever felt a palpable presence of God in that closet as I'm standing there with that folder in my hand, that paper landing right there, I felt the presence of God. So I felt it real. To touch it almost. When I did that, I picked up that paper, I put it in that folder, I walked right out of that closet and over to my bed, and I woke up my beautiful, wonderful, God-loving wife. She's sitting right there. And I told her, I said, Christina, we got to go to Lakeland right now. <laughs> it's 4.30 in the morning, and she's like, can we go at 6.30? <laughs> she didn't say that, actually. She got right up. I didn't even know why I said Lakeland. I didn't even remember that thing. I'm telling you, I'm trying to tell you the story the best I can. I don't, I don't know why. God knows why. I just said, we got to go to Lakeland right now. So she got up. Stuck a few things in a bag, got in the car, and started driving. At 5 o'clock in the morning or whatever it was, as we were getting down the road a little bit, she called her employer to let him know that she was not going to be in that day, which was a rarity for her. We got there, got to a hotel because I hadn't slept all night, arrived there, checked into a hotel, and I took a nap and slept. I'm not sure what she did. Maybe did that too for a little while because <laughs> I'd woken her up so early. Got up, took a shower, got up, found out when that, I knew where it was, this place, they were having these services. I knew what time it started. We were not going to be late. So we got up, we got there. And man, there was parking, there was people parking. I thought we were going to get there early, and when we got in there, it was half full already. And we got our place about halfway back on the side, on the left side, if you're facing the stage, it would be like sort of sitting over here. So I remember exactly what it looked like. And as soon as I walked in that place, I felt again, just like in that closet, I felt the presence of God. I felt God's presence in a real way. 
And then all I remember is the service started. It was 7 p.m. They started right on time. And their praise and worship went at least 90 minutes. I know it went 90 minutes. I know that's unusual for us. This was a revival. <laughs> and they would sing and sing, and they sang all the songs, the lyrics on the screen. People would stand up because it was so long. We'd stand up and worship for a little while, and they'd sit down. I did that, too. And been there for a little bit, stood back up. And I remember this one song, you guys may know it, that they sang for 20 minutes. I remember because I looked at my watch. <laughs> 20 minutes is one song. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And it went on and on. Lord, we thank you. Hallelujah. Lord, we love you. It was just on and on and on. And the presence of God was building and the spirit was just was just evident. And people were just worshiping God and, and people were, were shouting and crying out. It's hard to describe. Because I was sort of in a little zone. And so this is what's going on. Now, then they began this service where they were praying for people. And they called people to come up to be prayed for healing. There were people being delivered from all kinds of things. And they would bring them up. And there were several different people on the stage participating in this. And again, I'm going to not go into all of that, but I'm going to tell you this part. As I'm sitting there in this seat, and when I was participating in the worship, that wasn't foreign to me. I knew what worship was. And I remember a man that was standing up there, I couldn't tell you what his name was. But he said this. They had been praying for people for different things. They had been speaking out things, I believe, in word of knowledge that they had. And uh, this person said, there are people out here that are struggling with a drug and alcohol addiction. And if that is you, and he went on, I don't even know what he said after that. But this is what I did. Get out of the light here for a second. I was sitting in my seat, and he said, there are people out here who are struggling with a drug and alcohol addiction. If that is you, when he said that, I stood and raised my hands. I just put my hands in the air. And I said, God, I'm here. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what's happening. But I know that I'm here. And I know that you are real. And I'm asking you to help me, to save me, to deliver me, to do what I can't do on my own. I'm asking you, because I know in your power I can do what is not in my power. And I will tell you, it was like a bone. Uh, I've described this to people before. It's like a bucket of warm water. Not hot, but when you put your hand in it, you know it's warm. And it's like one of those big buckets at Home Depot that are on construction sites, those big five-gallon buckets, if you can imagine this, filled with warm water. And it felt like when I stood up and I just said one word, I didn't need anybody to lay hands on me, although that would be fine. I didn't need anybody to be specific and pray for me, although that would have been fine. I didn't have to go up and walk up to the stage, although that would have been fine, because God's not limited to geography. He's not limited to where you sit today. He is limited by nothing when his power is demonstrated, and his power was demonstrated on that night as I stood up, and it was like a feeling of a five-gallon bucket of warm water flowing on my head and going all the way from the top of my head to the sole of my feet. And I didn't know much, but I knew that God's power had healed me at that moment. I knew it. And I claimed it, I stated it, and I said, God, if you will do 
some more, but I'll tell you this. I've kept that promise. I've kept that promise. And guess what he's done? He's kept his word to me. And he has honored it. And he has blessed me with a great marriage and a great family and great children and a business that's prospering. Not me, not under my power, because I didn't have the answers. It's under his power. And when his power is evident in your life, there is no limit to what God can do. I don't care if you're dealing with alcohol and drugs today. If you are, settle it today. I don't care if you're dealing with any other issue, no matter what it might be. Settle it today. Because under our power, we have no chance. But under his power, we can do it all. That's my testimony. And and, and I'm going to tell you what that was. When... When that happened, hallelujah! Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. But I'm going to tell you this. When that warm feeling came over me, a stronghold, a demonic stronghold was being broken in my life right in two by the power of God. And if he did it for me, I'm not special. I'm not different. If he did it for me, he can do it for you. And I'm going to give you two pieces of information right here, two scriptures that I want you to hear because this solidifies this to me. 2 Corinthians 10 Pastor was talking about 2 Corinthians in prayer today, not this particular verse, but 2 Corinthians. Here's what it says. For though we walk in the flesh, that means we're human beings. We're just walking here on earth. We're human. We're like everybody else. When we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're not the conventional weapons of the world, folks. Here's the important part right here. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy, not just interrupt them, to destroy strongholds. And what might have started as a toehold turned into a foothold. You got into the water. It got a little more comfortable. You got up to your neck. Maybe you're treading water trying to keep your head above water right now. I can tell you that the Word of God tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not what we think in our power, but are of divine power. That means God's power to destroy any stronghold in your life. And I want to tell you one other thing. Romans 8, 1. For people I need, you need, somebody needs to hear this today. I know this more than one probably. It doesn't matter. Nothing doesn't. What you've done, what, what's happened in your life, what you're struggling with, it doesn't matter. God still loves you the same. He doesn't love me more than you. He doesn't love you more than me. He loves you the same. And don't ever let the enemy lie to you because he will. He'll lie to you. Don't let him ever let you feel guilty or shame because of what's happened in your life. Because the word of God guarantees and 
those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no guilt for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no reason to feel down on yourself when you're in Christ Jesus because it's not your power. It's divine power. It's His power that can break any stronghold in your life. Have I taken your time? I'm sorry. I didn't know what time it is. Oh, Lordy. Thank you. I love everybody in here. And I just have the privilege to share this testimony. But here's what it is. I want everybody in this place to not miss what God's power can do in your life in the life of your children. And if you or someone you know or whoever it is is struggling with anything, but maybe it's an addiction issue as I've described today. Maybe you think that you're okay because, well, it's just a little bit. Maybe you're up to your waist in the water. Maybe you're not even quite that more, but you're feeling a little more comfortable about it. I can balance it out. I can do both. I can be, I can sit on the fence. I can, don't leave here today like that. Stand with me, please. Are we going to close now? Everybody in this place. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I want to tell you. I lived through this too. What happened to him is an answer to prayer. Yes, it is. His family never stopped praying for him. I will tell you, there were times I wanted to give up and quit. I was ready to stop praying and start doing something else. Somebody in his family always came along. One of his sisters, his mother, That's what happened. You heard what happened. God has not changed. The 
just that great, just that powerful? What do you feel like, Billy? I think we ought to just say to people, if you want to touch if you, God, if you need something from God for you, come out and come to this altar right now. Don't hesitate. Don't hesitate.